0: Hello and welcome back to the Gritty Men podcast. I'm John Riggs, your host. And as always, we are here to equip, encourage, and inspire God's men to live God's way for God's glory in these last days. Hey guys, so wonderful to spend some time with you today. Thank you for tuning in. Um, uh, Thank you guys uh, for um, your response and for those of you that are ordering. And uh, you can get the Base Camp to Summit study off our website, grittycompany.com. And um, we're adding things to that on a weekly basis, just trying to get that website up and rolling. But thank you guys. It's been great to hear from so many of you all. And um, anyway, if you'd like to hear anything else or some other topics that you would like to discuss and um, learn about what the Bible teaches about those things, please send those in and we'll try to get to those in the future. But for the next five uh, episodes, we're going to be looking at what uh, the Apostle Paul calls in a sense, the five arrows of biblical manhood. And so um, I think these will be a blessing to you guys as we go over these. Um, they're pretty significant and they're very important. And these are arrows that Paul makes very clear in relation to the men of Corinth. These are, these are arrows they're going to use in their life on a daily basis. And it's essential that we as men of God have these um, in our quiver to be used at any given moment that we should choose. Now, guys, you know that I love uh, to hunt. Like many of you, um, I especially love the mountains and spending time in the backcountry. And archery hunting is uh, one of those things that I I love to do. It's um, it's a very unique and um, um, humbling <laughs> way to hunt a large game, but um, what an incredible experience it is! And so, I have a five quiver, um, a five arrow quiver that I actually have on my bow that I that I use and. The arrows that I have selected before I go on a hunt are, are arrows that I have shot. And so I may, I may shoot um, a couple dozen or even a dozen arrows. Let's say I purchase a few boxes of arrows um, and I shoot through those arrows. And in time, I will select five of those arrows that I um, am confident that are flying straight and true. Um, they don't have any whirling to them um, as they leave my bow. And you can see that when you shoot. Oftentimes, you can see an arrow. Sometimes it'll whirl, and then sometimes it can be a result of your bow or a problem you're having with it, maybe your, your rest or, or whatever. But nonetheless, you can watch, and, and you can see those arrows that fly true, and I select those arrows, or those are the ones that I pick and put in my quiver to take with me. Now, I do have one out of those five that I select to be my number one arrow. And um, I will put it in my quiver the furthest away from my bow string. So it's the furthest one out uh, towards the front of my bow. And I'll always pull that arrow out first. And that's the one I'm going to knock and I'm going to use um, when I begin to hunt. That's the, that's the one that I'm going to be using. And I want you to think about what the Apostle Paul here is sharing with these men. It's a verse that we love here at the Gritty Men podcast. And I know many godly men love this verse. As the Apostle Paul um, is sharing this as he's wrapping up his letter to the men of Corinth, um, and he gives them this exhortation in 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen, He says, number one, he says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all you do be done in love. And so these are the five arrows that we are going to look at over the next few weeks that we as men need to have in our quiver. And they are going to propel us into what the Bible teaches about being mature men of God, um, those that have grown up into Christ. And this, this word that Paul uses here, this phrase, act like men, actually means to be fully grown or mature. And we're looking spiritually here. Um, at spiritual maturity and spiritual growth this isn't that Paul's not talking about age here he's talking about spiritual maturity and you know that age does not always mean maturity right Um, there are men that have been Christians for 20 30 40 some of them even more years than that that are still infants in the Lord now that is not normal that's not how it's intended to be but un. Fortunately, there are many men in the church today that fall into this category, and they have never moved on in the upward call of God in Christ Jesus to grow to maturity. They've stayed an infant um, at salvation, and there's very little growth that has happened. Um, Where they should, as Paul says, by now you ought to be teachers. (laughs) Paul says that's where you ought to be. He still says, man, I've got to keep giving you the, 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 the little things the little low-hanging fruit and 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 this milk that you can that you can sip on because you can't even handle any of the deeper truths of the Word of God and unfortunately there's many men like that in the church today and it's the opposite of God's original design plan and intent for how He has made men to be head and to lead and um, to to not only uh, fill the earth subdue the earth uh, to rule the earth. Um, you got to be a mature man to be able to do these things. And so I really want to encourage you. This is part of a maturing process, and they're essential in the lives of us as Christian men. And so Paul the Apostle shares this with these men at Corinth, and they're very applicable for us as men today. It applies to us in our lives as well. The first arrow that I want you guys to think about as we look at this quiver of five is the very first arrow that Paul uses, it is significant because it really begins with this. Number one, we need to be alert, okay? We need to be watchful. And this is what that word actually means, the first arrow, where Paul says, hey, be watchful. It means wake up. Um, it, it means literally to be on go, you know, ready, alert, and engaged. This is the description of men who use this first arrow and have this first arrow in their quiver. These are godly men who are present both mentally and physically. They're not checked out. And oftentimes we are, we are easily distracted and our society and our culture seems to like it when men are checked out. That's what they kind of like. But that's not what we need to be as godly men. We need to be like the sons of Issachar in the Old Testament that David acknowledged. And what was he acknowledging about the sons of Issachar? He said that these men were aware of the seasons and the times. They were aware. They were present. They were ready. They were engaged. They were alert. And because of this, David said these men knew what Israel needed to to do. That's the kind of men we need to be, and that is descriptive of this first arrow. We must be men who are physically and mentally present, engaged, on-go, ready, alert. We need to be aware mentally and spiritually, and then physically also we need to be present, and so it's very, very important that we get this. Now, Paul's strong exhortation to the men of Corinth was necessary um, to remind these men of their God-given purpose. And not only that, one reason we need to be reminded of this is because it's easy, easy for us to become sidetracked and uh, to, to, to become uh, those that are, are numbed by things around us. Um, we, we get caught up in all these other things, and you can get caught up in other things, and you could lose your, your readiness your, your ability to be engaged and alert. Um, we need to be that, though, guys. It's essential. It's, it's something we must do. Now, if you are here and you're a military veteran or you're, or you're listening and you are currently serving in the United States military in one of the branches of, of service that you might be serving in, and if you've been in battle um, and engaging the enemy, you know how significant and important it is to be ready, alert, and engaged. And yet many Christian men do not even really think, believe, or understand that we are in a very, very serious warfare. And it is against the principalities and the power of in heavenly places. It is against the dominion or the domain of darkness, the kingdom of darkness. It is against Satan and all the fallen angels that have principalities and powers, and they have all of this stuff set up in this world where he's the little G God and he's operating in this world and it's getting darker and more depraved and more wicked and more vile as we move forward. And that's because of the days in which we're living in. So we need to know and understand, be alert, be ready, be on go, because the enemy is working hard. He's working hard. And let me tell you this, it's very, very important. The last thing that our enemy wants is for us as God's men to be alert, ready, and aware. He'd rather for us to just be simply just lollygagging through life, but he doesn't want us to be aware. Why? Because we are dangerous when we are men who are fully alive, aware, awake, ready, and engaged. We're dangerous men. Um, it's much easier to catch prey if you're, if you're a predator, right, like a, a lion, he would, he would love to be able to sneak up on his prey that's either napping or, or, or just grazing and has no idea nor understanding that he's anywhere near. But if the animal is alert, ready, engaged, and it sees any movement, smells, or what, that animal is going to what? It's going to flee the predator. Well, we know the enemy doesn't want for God's men to be these kind of men because it's dangerous for for the kingdom of darkness and I mean this in a in a in a real sense when God's men are living this way for the kingdom. And we need to know what the season is, what the time is, and how we should be living and operating as men in regards to the what we do is ministry. As men, we're all in ministry. Every single one of us are. We are shepherds of our own home, of our wives and of our children. We are. We are the lead and the head, and we are. Um, we are involved in leadership in business and maybe your own company or you're working for other people. Whatever it could be, uh, in the church we need to be engaged in leading and moving forward because these days are not going to get easier. They're going to get more difficult as we move forward. If you study scripture, that is a very fact statement. So we need to know this. And Paul wants for these men and for us today that we need to be these kind of men, guys. That's what we should be. Um, it's easy for us to become complacent in the ruts and routines of our daily lives. Um, but that's not good. We, we need to, to, um, to do a check, if you will. It's okay to have some routine. I'm not saying that I'm a routine person but my routine should be good. A rut is, is, can be a bad thing. A routine can be a great thing, or it could be bad, but we want to have a good routine in our life, um, and so it's very important that we learn this. Paul is, or Paul is really trying to make this very, very clear. Peter makes a statement about our enemy like this. He says in 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. There it is. Be alert. Wake up, man. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's not playing games here. Um, and so we need to be aware. We need to be, we need to be these men, guys. Um, we got to wake up, remain watchful, because we have an enemy. Our enemy, according to John 10, says he's come to kill, steal, and destroy. And we need to take this seriously. The enemy will bring great devastation to our lives and to those living under our protection and leadership if we do not wake up and we do not be the men. We must be engaged in the lives of those under our care and aware of the surroundings and all that's going on, not only locally, but in the entire world. We need to be engaged in those those things. Um, here's the reality, guys. You want to look at a culture and a society of men who have been numbed and dumbed Uh, through entertainment and media and all these things, all you have to do is look around to see the devastation of what happens when men are not fully engaged, aware, awake, and alert. Men who are asleep. Um, You can look from the church house all the way to the White House, and you can see every house in between has been affected, most of them, by men who are asleep, and all the while, the enemy is busy killing, stealing, and destroying. The nation and all within its borders In this nation, we have a major problem. We have a sin problem, guys. We don't have a political problem. We have a sin problem. And I don't care who gets elected in 2024. They are not going to fix this country. Because this country can't be fixed um, with worldly things. It can't happen. This country can only find any type of source of, 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 um, of fixing. Only in Christ can it be found. Because this is a sin issue. The depravity, the corruption, everything that we see, it's a result of sin. And that's what we have going on in this nation. Um, We also have a man problem. So we have a sin problem, and we have a man problem. But men are born in sin, so it shouldn't surprise us. But where are the godly men, you might ask? Well, they're out there, but we need godly men to be these kind of men, fully engaged, aware, alert, ready, on go, That's what we need in our churches and our homes and our communities today because what you're seeing is a fallout of what has happened when men are asleep. In just over 50 years, we have seen the erosion of some very key elements of of, um, sanctity within this nation. One of those being the sanctity of marriage. There there is no to little value of the sanctity and the holiness and the purpose of marriage. The last three podcasts I did were on marriage and they're explaining to you the mystery that Paul calls marriage, this incredible mystery. And what is the profound mystery? It's the mystery of Christ and his church and the husband and the wife and how these two are so connected and how there's something very, 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 very holy and very, very, very important in 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 the relationship of marriage, portraying a spiritual truth of our relationship with Christ. And what I find as doing so many weddings over the years, um, I'm at a point where I don't even want to do weddings anymore. In fact, I'm virtually finished. I am going to do my daughter's wedding in two days. Um, I've done one of my son's weddings. I will do my daughter's weddings, but my daughter's wedding, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, because my daughter takes marriage very, very seriously, and so does her fiance. And so they're both in Christ. They they understand the sanctity of marriage, the significance of marriage. And yet I've done so many marriages, man. And I go through this pre-marriage counseling with them and all of these details. But I tell you what I found. Marriage is like this cup right here to most people, including Christians. It absolutely means nada. It doesn't mean much at all. Because about 50% of them bomb. And that really gets under my skin. And there's not a real value on it. And when we're going through the ceremony, you can sense this. Um, You know, it's become one of the most bonkers things I've ever seen. People are spending thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on these events. And they can't even make the marriage work for a year, two years, three years, five years. It was the biggest waste of money. It was the biggest waste of money and time. And the damage and the fallout of what we're seeing, not only is marriage lost its sanctity within the heterosexual community, we always want to point to the homosexual community. Well, we've even lost that now, but it shouldn't be a surprise because we lost it within the heterosexual community first. There's no sanctity of marriage there. And then we have now, the, the, that marriage can be between two same-sexed individuals. You know, there's no value on God's design of male and female and all that God has done in relation to marriage. Those aren't marriages. Those are sinful relationships. They're not marriages, okay? So the sanctity of marriage, number one, has been a major um, fallout in response to what happens when men are no longer living like these kind of men should be living mature men, grown-up men in Christ, in God, fully aware, awake, alert, on, go, ready. These kind of men, they don't live this way. Um, not only do we see that, but um, we also have seen just the sanctity of human life, uh, the value of, 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 of the unborn. And I've said this too, it's absolutely mind-blowing to me um, that we have We have murdered, and it is murder by the way, it is killing of the unborn, and I don't have time to go into all these details because it's like arguing, uh, it's trying to argue sense in reality with a salamander. These people, you can't reason with them. Because when they can look at a, at a male and, and say, that male is a female, you can't reason with somebody like that because their brain is so freaking twisted, they can't think right anymore. I mean, a handful of years ago, we didn't even have a question about this in this country. Dude, if you're born a male, you're a male. You don't even have to even question this. If you're born a female, you're a female. This is so simple. I mean, it was so logical, but we don't have logic, but we have is a society of Romans chapter one that has turned its back on God and no longer worships and serves him, but worships creation itself. And it rejects God. And what happens is a sexual revolution, right? Idolatry, sexual revolution, homosexual revolution. And then we move to a depraved mind. Where are we at in America? We're, we're at the depraved mind point. We're at the point of zero return, man. This thing is moving at a mock pace, in the depraved direction. It's going to continue to do that because when you reject God, what else is there? There's no standard for right and wrong morality. It doesn't exist because the pendulum can move anywhere you want it to move because you have no standard. And the only standard you can have is something that was set by somebody much higher and more powerful than you. Only God, the creator of humanity, can set the standard of what morality is. And if you go below God to reach morality and set a standard, it's going to be a moving pendulum because everyone has its own opinion on what standard of morality is one should live by. It's impossible. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. And so in this nation, we've, we've gone along and I'll tell you this. If you just go back and study the think tank, the club of Rome, just look it up club of Rome and you can read their books. Not all of them. Some of them are classified, but you can still read them. And we have all these leaders from around the world and we gotta solve this problem, the world's problems. This is back in the 1960s and early 70s. Actually, 1960s is when this one, particular one I'm talking about, was written. And this think tank comes together and they're trying to solve world problems. Here's a world problem, overpopulation. How are we gonna fix the overpopulation problem? Well, one of the ways in which they're gonna fix the overpopulation problem was to offer this as a possible solution. What was that? contraceptives birth control what other form of birth control abortion you got to solve what you got to solve a problem we can't get rid of the sin problem of having sex outside of marriage in covenant relationship so instead of giving them uh, uh, instead of instead of pointing out that that sin is unholy and unright right before God and the consequences of that are pregnancy well let's make a way where they can still love their sin still enjoy their sin still have sex outside of marriage still live like 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 total to have no morality whatsoever. And, and, and then we'll cover that. We'll give them contraceptives. So, you know what, we'll try to preserve some of those things. And then not only that, when they do get pregnant, we'll just get rid of the baby. And what we'll do is we'll tell them, Hey, the baby's not human. But for thousands of years, every woman who got pregnant knew that what was inside of her was a life. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, they tell generation after generation that what is inside you is not a life. It's a blob of tissue. And then they start getting into the, these, these, these hairs of, well, hold on now, hold on. Does it have a heartbeat? You know, does its brain develop? Does it have lungs? No, listen to me. Life begins at conception. I know this because I did embryology in my first job outside of college. I know a little bit about where life begins. In fact, at six days, we would flush embryos out of a cow. I'd stick them in a Petri dish and I would get a microscope out and I would go through and I would sort embryos on a, on a, on a, a, uh, on a flush where we did a super ovulation and I'd have maybe 15, 20 embryos in there. And here's what's fascinating. I could sort out the ones that were what? That were fer- the ones that were, were, were alive, that had life in them, and the ones that had, were unfertilized. I could sort those out. Why? Because life had already began. Six days, we have multiple cells already happening within this actual embryo. And we would sort those eggs. And we have life there. And what would we do? Woo! Lo and behold, we would load those into straws, those eggs. Then I'd go and I'd have cows all set up with shots and, and I'd run those cows into a chute and we'd palpate the ovaries of the cows and we, would, we could tell if they had ovulated because we're, we, we've set these cows up and they were right along where the donor cow would be. And lo and behold, if we had an ovulation, she ovulated on the left ovary or the right ovary, then what would we do? We would take that embryo six days old, maybe seven, six days normally. We'd load them into straws And we would go into that cow that ovulated on the left or right side, and we would run all the way up into the left horn or right horn, depending on what horn they actually ovulated on. And we would deposit the embryo up in the horn of the side where she ovulated. And then amazingly, if everything would go right, guess what would happen in nine months? That little tiny embryo that we actually slid up through there, flushed it out of one cow, sorted it out of a Petri dish, loaded it in a straw, and we went into another cow, deposited that. Now, if that didn't have life in it, it wouldn't have been able to what? I'll tell you how much life it had in it. Every single thing that the DNA of that animal, all of the genetics of that animal had nothing to do with the recipient cow. In fact, we might, we might take a Charlay cow or an Angus cow and put it in a Hereford re Do you think the calf that was born was a Hereford calf or a Hereford cross calf? No. It was Angus if it came out of an Angus cow or an Angus bull, or it was Charlay. And so you'd have this, this Hereford, and she's got this black Angus calf. It wasn't hers. The life happened when? At insemination, conception happened. When the sperm penetrated the egg and fertilized the egg, life happened. Everything was in there. And so we tell this lie to our society long enough through generation after generation after generation. And now we tell them, oh, you know that thing growing inside of you? Yeah, I know you get that bump going on there. Oh, yeah, you're five months along. Oh, yeah, you see that? How you're growing there and you feel that thing moving in there? That, that, that's a life. No, but we have politicians and these sick, psychotic doctors out there that are killing these babies. And they say, no, that's not a, that's not a life. And then we even get to the point that we take and we actually say, you know what we're going to do? We're going we're to do these partial birth abortions. In other words, we're going to keep the head of the baby in the birth canal or the, the body in the birth canal. We're going The head can come out here. They're born head first, right? But what we're going to do is we're going to stop it. We're going to jab a pair of scissors in the back of its skull. And then we're going to keep it in the birth canal, though, because it hasn't been delivered. And if it hasn't been delivered, then it's not alive. And then we're going to suck its brains out with a vacuum. Or we're going to go up inside this woman who has this fetus in her, this living fetus, alive, fully alive, human. Say, oh, it didn't have all of its funk. Listen, you're getting into, this is ridiculous. See, this is what I'm saying. This is that, this is that warped mind. When you're so depraved and warped, you can't even think that that's normal and right. When we have for thousands of years, we know what this is. See, that tells you we're getting so depraved in our thinking. And so and so we have this, this, we go in there and we'll just take, and we'll cut off an arm and a leg and another arm and another leg and then slice it in half and suck it out piece by piece by piece. Oh, but see, it wasn't a life because we, we left it in the birth canal. I've had to do that with calves that have died inside of a cow. I've had to go in there, shoulder it all the way up inside, this cow, and I've had to take razor wire. It's a wire, not razor wire, but wire, that's a saw, and we would go in there, and we'd have to go in there, and you'd have to actually cut limbs off the calf to get the calf out, and it's rotten, and it smells, and it stinks. That that is unbelievable, what we've gotten to as a society, and you talk to many young people today, oh, that's not a life. It's not a life at all. Do you know the most dangerous place for a baby today is not in the world, but inside the womb? That's true. I told you here recently, I came back from, 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 from uh, Europe, went through, all the hol- went through several Holocaust things, and, and uh, we look at Hitler and his desire to exterminate the Jewish race and all that went on there, and I couldn't get over the fact as I left there. What kind of wicked, evil sucker do you have to be to do this? And yet... The people just go along with it, man. And 60 million, at least, children in this country have been murdered. Why? I'll tell you why. Birth control. And get rid of the problem of the consequences of sin. So we can continue to whore around, and do whatever we want to do with no consequence but there's always a consequence every single time. That's another issue, and then we finally get to a point in our society where we're so twisted and so jacked and so sick that we, we, can't, we say we can't even tell you what a woman is anymore. What is a woman? Uh, anyone can be a woman. No, sir. Eh, wrong answer. That's not true. What's a woman? We've always known what a woman was. You can go to any kind of tribe in the world and you tell them what we think here and they will laugh you out of their stinking village. They know what a woman is. We've gotten so twisted and sick and depraved. In this country, people can't even tell you what a woman is anymore. We know what one is, man. So what am I simply saying? I'm simply saying this. We're living in a time that have... Things that have taken place as a result of having a sin problem and a man problem. And we as men, we, we, we got we to gotta stand, man. We got to know, be ready, on go, alert, and engage. You say, all this stuff doesn't affect me. Oh, it affects you. Because you know what? Listen to me. The judgment of God on a nation, it is on a nation. And even though we're in this nation, God is judging this nation. And you are living in a nation that is under the judgment of God. You are being affected. That's a reality. And so, um, we have to be men who wake up guys. We got to wake up in the church. We got to wake up in our homes. We got to be fathers that are awake. Grandfathers that are awake and husbands that are awake. We've got to be awake. Um, That's just the way it is, guys. That's what we have to be. It's been a problem for a long time in history. Um, We know that Israel had its problems the same way. Not only did Israel have a sin problem, but Israel had a man problem. In fact, we've talked about this on a previous podcast. I've been right at 30 minutes. Let me wrap it up with this. There's a very sad section of Scripture in the Old Testament. It's found um, in Ezekiel chapter 22. And when you read Ezekiel chapter 22, if you'd like to, guys, you can go home and you can read it uh, when you get home or if you're there. You're going to find a sad state of the nation of Israel. But what we find here is what God does is God, God holds the men accountable for the sake of the condition of the nation of Israel. It was the men's fault. That's the reality. That's the problem. And he goes everything from the White House to the, to the church house. He covers it all and the men are accountable, and they are, they are responsible for the condition of the nation of Israel. But here's something sad. It wasn't that Israel didn't have a lot of males. They had lots of males. Um, they, just did, they just had a man problem, a godly man problem. That's the whole point of this podcast, is to raise up godly men, to come alongside you, to help hopefully equip and encourage and inspire you to be God's men, to live God's way for God's glory in these days. That's the whole point of this podcast, and that's what I hope we're able to do. Um, And so in verse 30 of chapter 22, God says, I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. So of all the males living in and around Jerusalem, not one man could be found who was alert, aware of Israel's dire situation. Not a single man was found to build up the wall of God's righteousness, no man was found standing in the gap warning them to repent and turn to god before the great and dreadful day of the lord of his the great and dreadful day of his judgment if these men would have been watchful they would have been alert to and aware of what was going on these men were responsible for the spiritual condition of israel as the men go so goes the nation see that's a reality you wonder why we have so much corruption in washington dc it's because we have a society of corrupt men that's why because we live in a governmental system where the government is a representation voted by the people so that if you don't like washington then this is what you have to realize the reason we have all these corrupt individuals in washington is because they were voted there by the vast majority of people in the states in which they represent it's a representative form of government and you say, well, that's odd. No, it's not odd. It's a reality that tells us that our nation is depraved if it's voting in and approving of this crazy stuff that's going on that's crooked and, and wicked and, 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 and wrong. That's why they're there. And so Jerusalem was full of males, but no one could, could be found, not a man. No man could be found. God does find a man, though, but he's not in Jerusalem. He's actually a priest by the name of Ezekiel living among the exiles in the land of the Chaldeans. And God finds this man by the name of Ezekiel, and this is what he says. In Ezekiel three seventeen through 19, Son of man, I have made you a watchman, listen to this, for the house of Israel. Make this your house, sir. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life. That wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Now this is the Old Testament. This is the nation of Israel. And this is God speaking to Ezekiel. He was to tell and warn whatever God said he was to do it. But if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. So we have this man, Ezekiel, called out by God to be used by him to what? That he would be a watchman for the house of Israel. And we've got to be a watchman for our house, a watchman for um, the church house, if you will. Um, And and in a reality for this nation, we need godly men uh, that stand in the gap for the righteousness of God. Um, So Ezekiel was God's chosen watchman for the house of Israel. This was a difficult assignment, but God empowered him with his spirit He encouraged and equipped him for the task ahead with his word. Um, Men, you are to be the watchman for your own house and for your family. That means you got to be present physically, mentally, spiritually. You have to be engaged. You have to be ready, aware. You have to be on go. You have to be alert. This is our responsibility. The responsibility for the condition of Jerusalem was laid at the feet of the men, not the women. Men were responsible for leading and were now being held accountable for their sin. We're called to lead. This is our responsibility, men, before God. We will give an account one day. This is a tough assignment. I know it is, but God has equipped us with his word and God has given us his Holy Spirit to empower us for the task that's at hand. God tells Ezekiel, fear not, for I am with you. And men, we need to hear that today. God is with us. His spirit lives within us. We need to wake up, men, this first arrow. There's so much at stake here. Your wife, your children, your business, your church, your community, this nation. There's so many things that are under our care. We need to be alert, awake, and fully engaged. Your family needs you to be fully present walking in obedient submission to christ they need your leadership they need a leader they need you they need your protection they need your instruction they need your discipline as they attempt to navigate this crazy day in which we live men this is the first arrow you must be watchful it must be in your quiver Jesus told us that the last days would be a time of great deception. We must be on high alert, engaged, on go, fully alive. We must be God's men living God's way for God's glory in these days. Guys, that's the very first arrow. Just take a few moments and reflect on the following questions here. Are you being watchful, guys, in your personal life of purity? Are you being watchful in the areas of your life, things like character, integrity? Are you being watchful in your marriage and in your leadership as a husband? Are you being watchful in the way you train, lead, discipline, and love your kids? Guys, this is the first arrow of the, five arrows of biblical manhood thank you so much for taking time to tune into the podcast today i know it seems like i probably chased a few rabbits there but um it's in, it's imperative that we wake up in this time in this day god bless you guys stay gritty and we'll see you next time here on the gritty men podcast